Open your word, the word of the Lord uh, with me to Acts 6. Acts 6, if you would like a uh, Bible. Um, I'm hoping that someone will, uh, yep, Josiah will get that for you. Just raise your hand and he will bring a, a Bible to you. Acts 6. Um, <clears throat> As you open that, I just again want to say blessed New Year to each and every one of you. Uh, today, I, I have to admit, I'm inviting you into a journey, uh, a journey to continue in this new year to follow your rabbi, uh, the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the one prophesied oh, thousands of years ago and over 2,000 years ago, walked in this earth exactly as it was prophesied, died on a cross as it was prophesied, rose from the grave three days later as it was prophesied, and um, walked for 40 days. Over 500 people saw him, and then he was uh, ascended into heaven and today sits at the right hand of the Father. This same Jesus is the one who on Pentecost Day said that he would come and infiltrate our hearts. As was prophesied in Ezekiel 18, 30-32, it says, I will judge each of you according to your ways, declares the Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourself of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why would you die, people? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Repent and live. Can you remember where you were when Jesus called you to follow him? Maybe today he will call you to follow him. His disciples were in very unusual places. Andrew, Simon, James, and John were fishermen. And they were casting nets and tending their father's boat. Matthew was a hated tax collector when he was called for Rome. Simon the Zealot was trained mercenary to kill the Roman um, occupation and to overtake it. Nathaniel was a true Israelite, sitting under a fig tree worshiping when Jesus called him and he saw him. So where were you when Jesus called you? Some of you were shaking when he called you. Some of you were in the middle of choosing a wrong career when he called you. Some of you were going through horrible relationship issues when he called you. Some were in the midst of addiction when he called you. Some of you were worshiping him when he called you. And some of you were following the wrong God when he called you. But whatever your situation was in, wherever you were, he has said four words to you, come and follow me. Come and follow me. As we approach Acts 6, um, to begin our journey, we have two significant things happening in history at that time. First, there was a famine in the land, and people were starving. Second, the religious persecution were beginning uh, to break out. And the reason is, is because the apostles were telling people about Jesus Christ, this Jesus of Nazareth. And the Sanhedrin, which was the religious leading group at that time, were getting angry because they were part of crucifying him. And now these people 
after they had crucified and were telling them that he'd risen from the dead and that he was God of all as he claimed to be. And they said, we no longer want you preaching about this Jesus of Nazareth. And this was Peter and the other, uh, the other apostles' response in the fifth chapter, the 29th verse. He said, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And so persecution began to break out. Now, people, I don't think these are un not relevant words for today. You do know that there is persecution and a famine breaking out in the land, don't you? It may not be a famine of food yet, but it is a famine of the Word of God. And it is persecution, um, which I'll talk a little bit about later, but it is a persecution even happening within the said church that is around us. And so these are relevant words. And if you're a teenager here, listen to me. You're going to grow up in an era in time unprecedented in American Christianity. And you're going to have to make a decision at a young age what side you're going to be on. At a young age. Today would be a great day. Today would be a great day to make that decision. And I hope that you, that you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. So let's begin. You've got your Bibles open. Some of you have uh, it on, on your phones. Okay, I get that. And uh, we just want to have it in front of us. I hope you all have it in front of us. Acts 6, 1 through 7. It says, in those days, when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebrewic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all around the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timion, Perminius, and Nicholas of Antioch a recent convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. In the midst of famine, and persecution, the church was growing at an alarming rate. And it does. It's an amazing thing about persecution because it does set a line down the line and says, okay, what do I really believe? 
If I'm going to suffer for what I believe, what do I really believe? And I'm going to stand on it. And that was happening in this time. So out of this grew a problem. Out of this grew uh, what some believed was a prejudice that began to grow within the church. And that was between the Hellenistic Jews and the... And the um, uh, and the um, uh, I'd say regular Jews, but the um, um, the Hebrewic Jews, the Hellenistic Jews were were people who took on the Greek culture, took on the Greek language, kind of infiltrated themselves into the culture of their time, and um, and so there was a tension normally there, but now these people are coming to know the Lord, and so God's calling them to not be prejudiced but to come together as one people. And so this was called out in, um, in this church. And so um, it isn't that the church isn't have problems. It does. But what it is, is what is the maturity of the church to handle the problem? That's the question. In Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, it says, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Listen to this. As each part does its work. As each part does its work. And so... It's easy to pick out problems. The question is, what are you going to do in the midst of problems, and how are you going to show your maturity in Christ as you walk through that? That was the big thing uh, at this moment. So the leadership got together and did very, two very important things. First of all, uh, they proclaimed um, the duties of the leadership of the church. This is so good for our core team to hear. What are your duties in leading this church? First of all, your duty is to ensure that the proclamation of the Word of God is happening in this place. Number one. Number two, prayer. Core team, that's your job. Pray for this church. Cry out to God for it. Stay focused because as, as our leadership grows closer to the Lord, it draws the church closer to the Lord. I believe that with all my heart. And so, so that was the first thing they did. The second thing they did was they assigned the work to those who were growing within the family. Now this is important. This, this hits the heart of your pastor. I'll be honest with you. Um, what were they looking for? Were they looking for people that were wealthy, skilled, people with great influence? No. There was five qualifications for these leaderships that is laid out in this passage. First of all, they were looking for men. This is not popular, but they were looking for men. They were looking for men. It does not diminish the position of a woman, but men, you are called to be the spiritual leaders of your home. You're called to be the spiritual leaders of this church. They were looking for men. Um, you have trouble in your family. You have trouble in your marriage. Men, stand up and take the lead. Take the lead in that. 
So they were calling men. Second, they were calling from among you. The choosing of those who were growing up in the church. This is so important to me. I want to spend some time on it because what I have noticed in the church is that when a church calls somebody from outside of its walls, it puts the church in a tailspin because they don't know who they are anymore. I can remember talking to some church leadership and they had, said, they, were, they had a pastor there for 35 years. And they said, after he retired, they said, now what we're going to do is we're going to bring an interim pastor in here so we can find out who we are so when we have a new pastor come into the church that um, then, then we'll be able to tell them who we are. Um, how many businesses would thrive if after 35 years they didn't know what they were doing? I mean, you laugh about that, but yet, isn't it crazy to you that that is the approach? Listen, do we know who we are as a church? Do you know who we are as the church of the pier? Do you know what our call is? Some of you are here because there are some that knew who we are and what we are doing, and they knocked on your door, and you invited you to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. But if you, I really believe in my heart, if you promote, and that's one thing I'm pushing on, promote from within the congregation. Promote from those who are growing in the Lord here. You do not lose your DNA. You move forward with who you are as a family. And so I agree with this. They were, they were from among. Um, the third thing we see in this passage is that... Um, that they were known for their walk with the Lord. Persons of good report, of testimony, of a person being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. When our core team leaders are, are called, that is one of the first questions we ask. Do we see them walking with Jesus Christ? Do we see them sharing Christ with others? Do we see the reality of their life not just spoken out of their mouth, but lived out of their life. And so, this is a great question. Are you the same person at church that you are at home? It's a great question. It's a great question. Answer it in your own mind. Or are you somebody different when nobody's looking? Fourth thing, they were full of the Spirit. A true believer is, is seen as moved by the Spirit of God uh, to the witness of truth in their life and to the guidance of their life. And then fifth, wisdom. It is a discerning of, in, of imparting Christian truth to life situations. It is the knowledge and practice of living a godly and upright life. And on these five things, they made a choice of seven men. Of seven men. The question that I have for each one of you is this. Are you living your life in a position that places you in a place where God can call you into service? Are you? Am I? It's a great question. Romans 12 says this. In the 6th through the 8th verse, it says, 
we have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according, accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Do it cheerfully. A life moved by the grace of God is a life that realizes you are called to walk by faith, which then positions you to be available for the good work that is God is calling you to do. Now, this is an interesting point that you may not uh, have seen from the text. All of the men had Greek names, and they all came from the Hellenistic Jewish group, um, which should have quieted down the call of the sin of prejudice. The second thing is, is that all of the men were presumed to be those who gave. If you remember earlier, that there was a, that as the Spirit began to move in the church, people sold their property, sold things, and they brought it to the disciples' feet because there was a great famine, there was a great need. And they put it in the distribution of the church as the church began to minister uh, to, to the people. These men were presumed to be contributors, thus their own generosity became the foundation for them to be qualified in the distribution of those ties. Am I a giving person? Am I one who gives unto the Lord so that I too can be um, can be part of that gift to the world. Um, and so as we look at these men, as we think about this, I have, picked, um, I have picked Philip for us to walk with a little bit this morning. Why? Two reasons. First of all, because he's an ordinary guy. I like that. He's an ordinary guy, but the second reason is he's an ordinary guy that took his faith seriously. Took it seriously, and we'll see that as we go. Um, John Wesley said these words. He said, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and will set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. Lord, let that be me. So as we walk forward in Philip's life, we have to realize the next place that we go is another continuing growth of the persecution. So the story in between, which you can read on your own, is a story about Stephen, one of the seven that was chosen. And he was falsely accused about what he was saying in regards to the gospel. You're going to be mistaken at times by people when you truly share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. He was falsely accused. He was brought before the Sanhedrin, brought before a name that you might know, and that is Saul of Tarsus. And in a very clear proclamation of the Old Testament, disproving what they were falsely accusing him of, he got to the place where he said, you know, you people are no different than your ancestors. You continue to resist the Holy Spirit. And at that point, they gnashed their teeth, they became angry, and they martyred Stephen. 
And if you remember what an amazing picture that was, those rocks were hitting him. He said, I see the, I see the, son, of, the son of God standing uh, on the side of the throne. And he said, do not hold these sins against them. Same words that Jesus said from the cross. What an amazing move. What an amazing thing. <clears throat> so, religious persecution, like I said, I want to talk just a bit about that. I see two religious persecutions that are growing in our country. I don't know if you see them, but I do. First is false doctrine. Truths about marriage and gender and the foundation of Scripture are being tested uh, today. And people in the church are being divided by well-sounding, emotional-moved lies instead of the truth of Scripture. That is a growing issue in the church today. <clears throat> and we have to stand up in the light of that. The other is human-controlled churches. Because of pride and the fear of losing what we've built, people try to hold on to the church. They believe that they have built it, and so they um, become very protective of it. Instead of surrender and humility, leadership is turning to power and to manipulation to maintain the course of their church. In fact, I know this to be true. <clears throat> Some of you are even worshiping with us today because of that persecution. And your hearts have been moved uh, to come from under human manipulation and control and to be moved by the Holy Spirit. I commend you. Uh, it's not easy, especially when it's been a place that you've worshipped at a long time. I commend you, and I pray that here at the pier you will realize this church is controlled by the Holy Spirit. He is the head of this church. Not Wayne, not your core team. The Spirit of God. And that is our prayer. And we're not trying to hold on to something because remember what Jesus said? He who holds on to his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will gain it. You know what? I lose the pier for Jesus. If he decides to have it open for another week, that's his deal. But I will not sit up here and play games with you guys. I want to proclaim the truth to you, and I want to walk together. And so, let's move on to Acts 8. Acts 8, 1b to uh, verse 8. Let's find out what happened to Philip as persecution broke out, um, Stephen was martyred, and, the ch and there was a scattering. It says on, in, in the second half of, of verse 1 of 8, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached, listen, preached the word wherever they went. Philip went to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with, sh with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. Many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in the city. 
And so we meet now Philip the evangelist. Notice something. Even in the midst of his hurt, he didn't stop. It's an important point. Some of us have been hurt in the church. Amen? There's been, there's been painful problems that have cropped up. We've been hurt. And some of us have said, well, if that's true, then um, I'm just going to kind of introvert into myself and just stay there. And that's a lie. That's a lie. Just like Paul and Barnabas had a, a sharp dispute and they scattered and they brought the gospel to two, two different places. So could God be using where he scattered you so that you can now share the gospel where you're at? Do not let pain overcome your life. Do not take on the identity of pain. You keep with the identity of Jesus Christ and you just do what he's calling you to do wherever you're at, wherever you're at. The other thing you notice here is he's in Samaria. Does that ring any bells to any students? Isn't that where Jesus went? Isn't that where he met the woman at the well? And he had a great breakout of the gospel in Samaria? Absolutely. And so it's interesting that Philip is sent there. And so, if you today have felt a pain in church, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Blessed are those who, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of falsely things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Sue and I have learned a saying that we've kind of applied. If Jesus doesn't show up at church anymore, you're welcome to leave. You're welcome to leave. Jesus needs to be the number one. If you're here for the first time, if you hear nothing else, hear this. Jesus is in this place. He loves you. He died for you. He knows your pain. He knows what your heart is experiencing right now, even as you're listening to me trying to kind of push my words away. He knows your pain, and he shed his blood for you so that you could be healed. And you could live a life with meaning and purpose for him. Don't forget that. Now, there's more that I could go on and say about this. There's a lot of things that happened in Samaria. But I want to kind of bring this um, down in, in one particular passage. Will you go in the 8th chapter to the 26th verse? <clears throat> this is so important. Um, and I, I just I want to draw some things out of this passage and encourage us all. Are you with me? It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Kandak, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. When Philip ran to the chariot, I love that, he ran there, and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, 
Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, said, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip began with the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travel along the road, I love this, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Atosas and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. We notice three things in this passage, I think, that, that really are important um, uh, to notice. First of all, um, the amazing work of God in the, in the background. The fact that the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, go along this road. Uh, do you guys believe in angels? Uh, do you believe that, that they're working today? Do you believe that they're in this room? I do too. I do too. The Bible says, <laughs> I've got a name for mine. I don't know that it is, but I've named him Jeb. Um, that poor guy has, um, has been working his wings off. Hebrews 1.14 says this, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? Absolutely. If you remember the, the prophet Isaiah when um, King Uzziah died, he, he saw in, in chapter 6, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, but he also saw angels. Do you remember what he saw? He saw angels with six wings. Now, kids, you, this is interesting. Two of those wings covered their eyes for one reason. No one looks on God and lives. No one looks on God and lives. It, he's not playing with you being here today. Are you playing with him today? He's very serious. He's revealing himself to you today, and yet a human being cannot look on him and live. That's our God. Two of the wings covered his feet, covered their feet, because nobody is holy as God. We are all dirty before him. Even his own angels are not as holy as God. And two of them, listen to this, are flying, always flying. Do his will. Do it immediately. Do it now. Don't miss that. That's the call of us. I don't care what age you are. It's the call. He's talking to you right now saying, will you follow me? Will you follow me right now? Not tomorrow. Not next week. Now. And so I believe this is true. And, uh, and I... And, 
So that's that, uh, the amazing working of God. So that's the first. But also in verse 29 it says, The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near, stay near it. Is the Holy Spirit that is called the Spirit of Truth. It is, he is an advocate, he's a comforter, an encourager, and a counselor. John 14, 26 says, But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So that's the first thing, the amazing undergirdings of God and what's happening. A um, brother of mine prayed and said, Lord, I've told you that I'm available. I'm available for whatever you want me to do in 2024. He needs to understand these two truths. First of all, there's a ministering angel that is working with him. He needs to know that because we can't do it in our power. We need to do it in his. Second, he needs to know is that the Spirit will guide him and he will tell them the truth. And that will be the undergirding of any of us having the courage to, um, uh, to, uh, to overcome fear and to share Jesus Christ with people. And so I love that. Second thing that I notice in this passage is this. The unhindered sensitivity of Philip. Now remember, he was hurt. I, I, if we had a little truth in church today, and we had you raise your hands if you've ever experienced pain. Do you think that we would have anybody with their hands down? Every single one of us have experienced pain. Amen? Every one of us. And what has that pain done in your life? Has it made you angry? And so I'll never let anybody do that to me again? Has it made you protective and said, you know what? I'm not letting anybody in. You hurt me like that, I'm not letting anybody in. Or has it, listen, has it made you more sensitive? Has it made you more sensitive to the pain around you? That is a, that's what it did to Philip. His heart was open. He, um, he was open to do whatever God called him to do, even when he was hurt. And, um, and, and it, this is an important point. There's been a phrase that's been running through my mind over the last six months, and it's this. It's time to make gospel noise in our community. How do you do that? How do you make gospel noise? Well, um, I could give Lily a blowhorn, and she could go out on the corner and go, Hey, everybody, you need Jesus. Would you do that? Uh, no, no way. <laughs> no way. I, I, and, and there are people that do that, and I'm not deterring from that. But this is how you make gospel noise. Listen to me. I, I will try to say this without crying. I was in emergency on the 26th of December. So was half of Grand Rapids. I was there for five and a half hours. As I sat there, now my beautiful bride came in and brought me lunch. She looked around and said, man, these people are sick. I'm out of here. Shout the door. <laughs> Love you, dear. But as I sat there, now listen to me. As I sat there, I started to feel people's pain. I started to feel um, um, Wins and his wife, Lori, whose back was... Um, um, a, a, a disc had slipped and she was in tremendous pain who sat across from me 
Um, I, I started to feel Jessica's pain, who had a kidney uh, that is um, not correctly uh, functioning and creates kidney stones two or three times a year, and she's in tremendous pain. And I started to feel that, and I started to make some noise. How? Because of compassion. I started to talk to him. And that talking opened up the door for a conversation. And knew as a pastor, because I was writing this message while I was in ER, I was writing a piece of paper, and um, Wynn said to me, he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm a pastor, and I'm writing a message. And, uh, and so we just got in the conversation. And, uh, and, I mean, they started opening up the doors of their pain in their life to me. That's how we make gospel noise. And one of the things that we teach in, uh, in marriage counseling is that, and we did uh, with a couple last night, is that, is that entering into marriage, you've got to start taking your eyes off yourself and you've got to start thinking about the other person more than yourself. And I've done a terrible job for that most of our marriage. But it's so true. It is so true. Making gospel noise starts out with you starting to develop a compassionate heart for the hurting. And that that begins to drive your life to step over, listen to me, to step over the isolation that's in our world today, which is, it is, come on, some of you in this room are even isolated, and you know it. But stepping over that isolation and beginning to speak words of life into people's lives. That's how we make gospel noise. It is. And every one of us can. But we can't let the pain of our past identify who we are. We have to let Jesus Christ identify who we are. And we need to start feeling each other's pain and walking into each other's lives. That's what Philip did. He experienced the eunuch. He experienced what's going on. He listened to what was happening. And he asked just a simple question, and that is, do you know what, you, what you're reading? And the eunuch said, how can I, unless somebody explains it to me? You know why the church is not growing? Who's explaining the gospel to people? I mean, they're confused. People are confused. Right? I mean, come on. Somebody here in this room's hurting. You know the confusion that comes out of that pain. You know how it kind of, you know, it's, it's like a prize fighter where you're kind of dazed because you've been so hurt you can't believe that somebody you trusted could do that to you. I get it. But don't let that identify who you are. Let Jesus Christ identify. And then what happens is that pain becomes the inroad to somebody else's pain, and you get to speak life into them. That's what God's calling us to do. That's what he's calling us to do. And that's what Philip did. So the first thing was the amazing work of God in the background. The second is the unhindered sensitivity in Philip's life. And then the third is the openness of the eunuch. Um... So, we have one of two people in this room today. 
we have either you're a Pharaoh or you're a Philip. Either today, as even as you hear the word of God spoken to you, you're hardening your heart. Do you realize, if you've ever studied this, but five times when, um, when God brought his plagues against Egypt, five times it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Five times. <clears throat> what happened on the sixth time? God hardened his heart. God, listen to me, God hardened his heart. There's a point in which God gives us over to the tendency of our heart if it's to be hardened. That is a very scary phrase to me in Scripture and a very scary truth. Today, don't fall asleep on the Word of God. Today, don't let, this, don't let these words just go away. Today, hear the voice of Jesus Christ speaking to you directly, even words I'm not speaking. But let him talk to you and let your heart be open to him. Everything can change in this moment. But if you harden your heart, if you say, he doesn't understand the pain I went through, he doesn't understand my past, he doesn't understand, he does. He took a nail in this hand, he took a nail in this hand, and he took a nail in his feet. And he died for you. There's no pain that you've gone through that has been greater than the one that Jesus Christ did. He literally, it is the greatest execution pain-wise that has been known to humanity is the cross. And he endured that for you. For you. He knows your pain. He gets it. He gets it. And so, or you can be like the Ethiopian eunuch. Listen to me. Came from a pagan country, a country that served another god. But he came seeking God because God had revealed himself to him. <clears throat> he was responding and reading what he didn't understand, which is every single one of us outside of the Holy Spirit. We're always, it's always about the fact that God is the first cause of seeking. God comes to us as he came to the eunuch. There isn't a, listen to me, there's not a human in history that God has not came, come to. Not one. Every human being he created, he touched with who he is. It takes absolute rebellion to push him down. It's too true. It's too true. Come on, just, how can a seed that's sitting on my desk right now, getting no water, getting nothing, I have three of them sitting on my desk right now, I can plant them in the, in the spring, and I might do this just because of this, and you know what? A tree's going to start. How can that happen? Because unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, there's no life. There's no life. You can't save yourself. You can't make it work. You can't get over your pain. You need a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And he loves you. And he was that seed that fell to the ground, that died, that was buried, and was raised from the dead. He is the one who came to save us. And so... 
Open your heart to him. Open your heart to the Isaiah 53, the suffering servant who took on your pain, who took on the shame of the cross, who took it all on himself, and it was his father's will to crush him. As I close out, I don't want you to forget, um, and I, I hope that you guys will read this whole account. Please do. It is an amazing walk of an ordinary man who took his faith seriously and changed the world around him. But there's a few things that you need to know about service because that's what this message is about. What is God calling you to step into in this next year? What is he calling you to? When you choose to serve or you choose to be a servant, there's a difference. If you choose to serve, <clears throat> you have the right to tell God what you want to do. And you know what your biggest worry will be? Will they manipulate? Will, will, they, will they take advantage of me? It is. It's true. But if you choose to be a servant, you give up all your rights, all your rights to what he's calling you to do, and you place it in his lap where he leads you. Now, the cool thing is people will still take advantage of you, but they'll never manipulate you. Because you're standing on the truth of Jesus Christ. And your life is not your own anymore. So yes, Sue, you can be taken advantage of as a Christian. She always, has, she always says that. Can, can Christians be taken advantage of? Yes. But when you choose to be a servant, you can't be manipulated. You just do what God's calling you to do. And you leave the results up to him. Isn't that cool? And what you think about that. Because God's calling each one of us to step into something new in 2024. Yes, he is. Because a Christian's life is never stagnant. A Christian's life is always moving and growing. It is. It is. He is all full of purpose. He is all full of hope. He is all full of love. He is all full of peace. He is the very epitome of those things. And he wants your life to be the same. And he wants you to grow in that. And he wants you to, he wants you to take it and to give it to other people. Can you imagine? You're, no, listen to me. Your whole life is a life of loving somebody? Is a life of serving others? Is a life of caring for others? Is a life that feels the pain of another instead of focused on yourself? What a life that is. What a life that is. That's the kind of life. Now, just a, just a few ways that service can happen as I close out this time. <clears throat> First of all, um, is something that um, a, a writer calls the service of hiddenness. Do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. When you serve, do it in such a way that it doesn't matter who's looking because you're not doing it for the accolades of others. You're doing it for the glory of God. Just serve. <clears throat> Second is the service of small things. Is, is something too small and beneath you? Are you too important to, um, uh, to, just, to just, you know, even before mom and dad asks to do the dishes, you just do them? Oh, now, no, whoa, whoa. Whoa, what are you talking about, pastor? Yes. Yes. Could you be that, that person that just sees the small things and does them, not caring. 
Service of small things. Second, the service of guarding each other's reputation. We need to have this in the church more. Do we uphold each other's reputation or are we caught slandering people? It is a huge gift to stand side by side with brothers and sisters who lift each other's names up in the name of Jesus Christ and walk together. Am I going to hurt you? Uh-huh. I'm a human. I do things that sometimes hurt people. I may even hurt somebody here today. I don't know. But can we walk together as brothers and sisters? Can we preserve each other's reputation? And some of that is calling each other out when we have sinned. That's part of preserving it. Accountability. Absolutely. Nobody is above the law of God. Um, third, uh, fourth, the service of being served. Remember when Jesus went to, to wash Peter's feet? Josiah, what did Peter say? No, he did not. Not at first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, may not be, Lord. Not, not you. You're not going to do that to me. You're just too much. You're too great for that. And, he, and then that's when Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Well, then wash my head and wash my body too, dude. I want to have everything about you. Well, if a person's taking a shower, they don't need their whole body washed. Service of being served. Be open when somebody is sensitive to where you're at and wants to serve you. Um, fifth, servant, and, and I'd love the comment, somebody that said, service of common courtesy. Being a decent person. Being a decent person, you know? When somebody drops something in front of you, pick it up and say, excuse me, ma'am, you dropped your purse. Or, excuse me, uh, other employee, you dropped your rag, uh, your cleaning rag here. Just being, we need more of that in this world. We need to serve each other. We have a lot of people that are very separated from each other. Next, service of hospitality. Open your lives and your homes to each other. Have you done that? Have you opened your life and your home to those around you? Or are you sitting isolated amongst everybody? Service of hospitality. Service of listening. Are you a good listener? I, when I was in that hospital, I listened to the way that the husband and wife were talking to each other. And I started picking up things. I listened to the pain of Jessica as her kidney was giving her trouble. And she was moaning. And she was working on her computer at the hospital because her job is a remote job. And, uh, and I just, you know, I just, all of a sudden I just looked at her and I said, oh, I just feel your pain. And it opened up a whole conversation whole conversation. I get mocked by my wife by that. I come home and I tell her all her stuff and Sue goes, I don't really care. I don't want to hear about it. She cares. I'm not I'm trying to make her out to be that way, but I sometimes, this is my mother, I talk too much. Um, eighth, service of bearing the burdens of each other. Each other's pain. Do we do that as a church? 
Do you know what the person around you is suffering with? Do you know their life? Do you know what's going on? Are you willing? Uh, because the Bible says this, bear one another's burdens. And what? Somebody complete it for me. And so what? Fulfill the law of God. Amen. Amen, or law of Christ. And then finally, service of sharing the word of life with each other. You know, there are times that God does give us a word to share with somebody. Absolutely. Um, but I think also just the word of life. That's what I'm trying to, listen to me. You don't know me well. That's what I'm trying to do to you today. It's really my only intention is to share the word of life with you so that your life grows. I have, there's no kudos I get. There's nothing you're going to give to me. It's the fact that you receive God's word it speaks to your heart. You respond to his word. And you know what? You gain life. You feel more alive. You experience more life. You do. And that is exactly. So as I close, a prayer that I hope others will take on as I have. Lord Jesus, as it would please you, bring me someone today whom I can serve as it would please you. Bring me somebody today whom I can serve. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. <clears throat> Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I, I want to thank you for this journey. Um, I, I don't know where the hearts are of people that are in front of me uh, necessarily. I know some, but I don't know them all. And I don't know what brought them here today or where they're going. But I pray that, Father, as they've walked this journey with an ordinary guy who was serious about his faith, that, Lord, they will be moved to say, I want to take my faith seriously. I want to follow Jesus Christ. And I know that means service. I know that my life that becomes a, um, an instrument in the hand of God to serve others in some way, shape, or form. And so, Father, I pray for this congregation. I pray, Lord, for our lives. I pray for those um, who are hurting in and amongst us. And I pray that, Lord, they may know uh, that it is felt in this room and that we care and that you care and that they can find healing in your presence. Father, I pray uh, for those who have never thought about their life being used to serve somebody else. They never thought about, you know, I've just kind of focused on myself, just doing my own thing, trying to make money, trying to just trying to survive in this world. And Father, I pray that today they've been encouraged to see that their life too, in the identity of who you are as Jesus Christ, that they too will know that their life can be uh, an instrument in your hand to uh, love somebody to you, to share, to, to service, uh, serve somebody else. Father, I pray that you'll be with this church. And Lord, we live in a neighborhood that is, has a great brokenness. And they're generations away from you. And they look at their lives and they see absolutely no um, solution to their problem. Just, it's just another day, and I'm just moving uh, to some day to die and to be over with this pain. And I pray that, Father, that you will, Lord, use us as instruments in your hand 
to reach into a neighborhood and to love them. We're not better than them. We all have pain. We all have um, fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. It's not about somebody being better. It's about a sensitive heart that's moved to walk across that great void of isolation and to begin to speak words of life into another life. I pray that, Lord, you'll move in a mighty way among us, that that happens in this neighborhood, so much so that there is a noise that starts to happen in our community, a noise of people being set free, a noise of people that are saved, a noise of people that start loving their neighbors, a noise of, of people who begin to walk together instead of keeping their shades down and their doors closed, and that, Father, in this neighborhood, Lord, we'll have a Jesus revolution. We so need you. But it starts with, Lord, what is it that you want me to step into, into 2024? I'm here and I'm available. We give you glory and honor and praise for this, and we just lift your name up among us. In the name of Jesus, I pray.